Hi, everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. We're back today with another installment of Around the Horn with UBS Asset Management's fixed income team. As you know, each month we are joined by top portfolio managers and business heads from Asset Management's Muni, Taxable, Fixed Income, and Liquidity teams. We do hear candidly from them on their views on markets and what they believe you should be focused on within the fixed income space. Joining us for this month, glad to welcome back Anthony Liotti, head of the Fixed Income SMA Advisory Group. Anthony will also serve as our moderator for today. We're also joined by Dave Walzak and Dave Rothweiler, Senior Portfolio Managers for Short Duration and Liquidity Strategies. Philippe Telle, Senior Portfolio Manager for U.S. Corporate Fixed Income Strategies. Anders Nelson, Portfolio Manager for U.S. High Yield Corporate Fixed Income. David Michael, Portfolio Manager for Emerging Markets. And Lisa DePaulo, Senior Portfolio Manager for Municipal Fixed Income. So with that, Anthony, I'll pass it over to you to lead today's roundtable. Welcome back. Thank you for tuning in to the latest um, Around the Horn call for September, October, excuse me, October 2023. So I, I thought we'd start this call with kind of setting the table um, for how we got to where we currently stand within the domestic fixed income markets. Because clearly... At the midway point of 2023, no one was expecting us to be where we are right now. Uh, and yet, you know, the, the volatility that we have regularly reminded clients to expect uh, continues to cause investors quite a bit of angst as to whether or not to take on any duration and, and lock in these historically attractive yield levels. Uh, during the month of, of August and September, <clears throat> I'd say that the, the markets really began to latch on to the growing narrative, which was in and clearly remains now, higher for longer, right, i.e., we can expect interest rates um, that we're seeing now to stick around for, for the foreseeable future. As we entered, you know, the, the traditionally volatile month of October, uh, rates just continued the strong March higher, and the markets really demanded even higher yield levels, otherwise known as what we would say is, is as a term premium. And with that, most fixed income securities reached the highest levels that we haven't seen in quite some time. In fact, since since 2007, right around the great financial crisis, where we saw in in in, in the recent markets, 10-year Treasury yields reaching a high of right around 4.85%, and the 30-year Treasury reaching an intraday, although it did not hold it overnight, it reached an intraday high of, of 5.03%. Right. So so why the surge? Well, I'd say this: we're we're issuing a lot of debt, a lot more debt. Secondly, we've clearly seen uh, uh, the traditional buyers within uh, the treasury market sort of step aside uh, quite a bit. The economy is still showing continued strength. And again, investors are just demanding yield, more yield, uh, especially on you know, intermediate and long term, uh, because of the long term risk concerns that exist within, within the marketplace. As a fixed income investor, though, I say, and I remind you this, higher for longer is actually a good thing, right? We, we just don't want to see this continued sort of trend of death by a thousand cuts, if you will, with rates uh, not stabilizing in here for an extended period of time. What we want from our fixed income is rate stabilization, is you know, price and, and rate stabilization, while we just stand by and simply clip our coupons, right? Prior to the events in the Middle East, the market, the broad media, I'd say even some leaders within the industry um, were, were clearly sending out, I'd call it gentle warning signs, if you will, that, look, kind of not only expect 5% on, on treasuries, but you should even potentially prepare for those rates going higher, right? And again, 
somewhat of an unthinkable thought at midpoint in the year 2023. As for the Fed, the data suggests that inflation, yes, is trending lower, that the, the work that they've done thus far is helping. But to counter that, too, the jobs market remains just so hot here, right? By the last print that really kind of blew out any expectation set forth here. Um, but it, again, the Fed has once again reiterated that they will continue to be data dependent in order to determine if, if any additional rates are, are necessary. But I think to me, perhaps those in the call, I think what was most interesting about this October move in rates were two things. One, the strength and velocity of the pullback, right? It just, it, there was just, it seemed like there just wasn't an end in sight here. And clearly how it caught so many economists, market participants completely off guard. But the other point was this. It, in a way, it really helped the Fed because it did the work of the Fed where it did not have to essentially have, I would say, it's an artificial tightening. So the market did it, and the Fed just had to sit back and say, great, wonderful, thank you for participating in it. So if you look forward, um, I, I'd say this. What, we, we, all eyes are clearly on, on the impact of conflict in the Middle East and, and what that will have on, on global rates markets. Uh, and then that will clearly lead to decisions by those making, making policy decisions in reaction to what impact it will have on the economy. Higher rates globally, coupled with, you know, the potential to have to issue more debt uh, at substantially higher rates is generally something not many governments going to want, nor necessarily can they afford for an expanded period of time. So we'll have to really keep our eye on that, right? And of course, the energy sector being one of the one of the most critical things to to look at when we talk about inflation. So, so let me pause here. Um, I'm going to turn it over to um, to the fixed income portfolio managers within UBS Asset Management. Let them tell you what they're seeing in the markets, how we are positioning the portfolios accordingly, uh, given sort of the backdrop that I had um, just laid out there. Uh, and we'll start like we always do on the short end or the front end of the market with with Dave Walzak. So, Dave, take us away, my friend. Yeah, thanks, Anthony. Um, so I guess just echoing a few thoughts that you had with regards to the Fed. Um, clearly, we've been watching the recent uh, Fed speak. And as you rightly pointed out, we've heard from several members basically indicating that given the rise that we've seen in long-term yields, uh, effectively that could almost act as another um, you know, round of tightening on, on the market, so to speak. So, um, you know, we are looking to see if there's any changes this week uh, from a, actually a pretty busy slate of FOMC speakers. Uh, we're not really expecting uh, too much in the way of, of changes. Uh, we do have uh, Fed Chair Powell notably speaking on, on Thursday, so we'll be paying uh, close attention to that. But as we sit here today, uh, there's only two basis points of expressed in for the meeting, uh, the next meeting on November 1st, uh, and then cumulatively about nine basis points priced in by the end of the year. So. The market continues to be of the view that the Fed is, is likely done here. Um, but importantly, as, as you said before, Anthony, um, I think what the market is focused on now is how long the Fed holds uh, rates at these elevated levels into next year. Um, you know, we're of the view that any cuts uh, that are likely to materialize next year will probably be more of a second half story. Um, you know, looking at Fed funds futures today, we're seeing about 68 basis points worth of cuts priced in uh, by the end of next year. Um, you know, also important to keep in mind uh, the Fed's latest stop plot where they showed, um, you know, expectations of about 50 basis points worth of cuts. So uh, the market is currently still a little bit more aggressive uh, than at least the, the medium Fed view uh, for next year. But, of course, uh, we'll wait to see how the, the data uh, materializes here. Um, you know, just another item to note here in, in the front end, um, one thing that's been notable uh, over the past few weeks is we've really seen an acceleration in the drawdown of the Fed's reverse repo facility. 
Uh, just as a quick reminder, this is the facility that's open, you know, primarily to money market funds and also uh, banks and broker dealers here in the U.S. where uh, these entities will place uh, cash to the Fed and the Fed in turn will place uh, collateral uh, against that trade. And you know, we've seen usage now drop to about $1.1 trillion, uh, which is down about $350 uh, billion just o- over the past month. So we really have seen uh, kind of uh, a lot of outflows uh, recently from that facility. And, you know, I, I think, you know, th- there's always some concern in terms of, you know, what does that mean for broader financial market conditions? Um, but really, I think other measures that we look toward, like bank reserves, have been relatively stable. Um, so that's not really raising any alarm bells for, for us here on uh, the front end. And I think, you know, it's primarily j- driving the drawdown is the fact that, you know, we've seen quite a bit of Treasury bill issuance, certainly um, the massive amount that we've seen since the resolution of the debt ceiling earlier this summer. So a lot of that cash has been drawn from the facility. Uh, has been making its way to, to T-bills. So we'll continue to keep an eye on it, but, um, you know, just something to point out, just given the, the large drawdowns uh, that we have seen in, in recent weeks. And with that, I'll turn it over to Dave Rothfeller to talk about our ultra-short and short-duration uh, credit strategies. Thanks a lot, Dave. Um, just taking it a step further, just looking at high-grade spreads, uh, they've recently been in a pretty narrow range. I mean, rate, rate fall aside, even with the geopolitical tensions over the past week, credit spreads have been fairly stable. From the, from the supply uh, standpoint, October investment grade issuance has been on the lighter side versus expectations with about $25 billion a month to date. For year-to-date 2023, we've been running about on par with 2022 with about $1 trillion in new IG issue, issuance. Uh, so far, looking at some of the big six uh, banks reporting uh, Q3 earnings coming into today, results mostly beat consensus as net interest income and provision expenses were better than expected. Uh, we're starting to see more issuance from the banks post earnings with two big uh, U.S. banks tapping the market today. You know, we've emphasized in the past on the around the horn calls our relative value preference for short end financials versus industrials. As an example, uh, right now, three-year senior A-rated bank paper is trading in the 80 to 100 basis point range versus like-rated industrials at plus 30. So, you know, staying with the B of A one to three indices, even with the volatility of this past March, front-end bank finance paper is generally outperforming industrials now year-to-date. So, um, you know, that sector we've favored, especially when it comes to the money center banks, and, and it seems like it's been playing out. So. Moving on to duration, um, you know, given the recent rainfall, we've been staying close to home with duration. Our positioning has been uh, flat to slightly long at about a 0.05 years to the index. So with that, I'll, I'll toss it over to David Noah, or Philippe, rather. Yeah, it's uh, Philippe Callas here today. So uh, thanks, David. Um, not dissimilar from what Anthony yourself mentioned uh, we experience increased volatility in our markets. You know, there's been a resurfacing you know, on geopolitical risks in the Middle East, the strikes in other plants here in the United States, and the service inflation print that turned out stickier than expected, to name a few. But we cannot ignore the stronger than expected data. Uh, we've been talking about that all year. The consensus for the U.S. GDP growth in fourth quarter is 1.9%, and we are speaking to a soft landing scenario in 2024. Unemployment remains low at 3.8% and looks like the Fed will be on hold next month at or near peak, according to Wolzak. That combined with attractive valuations and steady inflows in, in U.S. investment grade makes us believe that we continue to be at a good environment here for, for credit. 
The backup in treasury yields is giving investors the opportunity to lock in 6% in USIG, which historically is an attractive entry point for, for investors. We're seeing material inflows into the asset class with over 106 billion in demand year to date. And as David talked about um, on supply, uh, Q4 is is known for a slower pipeline. It's a seasonally slower quarter for us, so that should help in terms of, of the spreads and valuations into year end. On portfolio positioning, the risk deepening of the treasury curve is providing an opportunity to extend portfolios, uh, and that's what we're doing in our portfolios. We are we are going to longer maturity bonds and selling very short dated bonds, like some bonds usually maturing less than a year, uh, to add duration and lock in higher yields. We are targeting uh, duration that's higher than our indices for across our, our strategies, uh, which is about four, four and a quarter years. On sector allocation, our credit selection has always focused on, on companies with strong fundamentals and cash flows uh, that are backed by our credit analysts. And as David uh, mentioned, we, we have a preference for the U.S. money center banks, such as Bank of America and Morgan Stanley. Um, I picked the five-year part of the curve as an example, but on the five-year part of the curve, the peak in yield and spreads over uh, a similarly rated single industrial company, 60 basis points, so 0.6%, which is attractive for companies that are fundamentally strong. Uh, the banks remain solid. Um, David mentioned the results. Profitability is still pretty high with the higher rates. Credit costs hasn't been as bad as people expected. Uh, so we, we like the sector. We also have allocations to, to communications, non, uh, consumer non-cyclicals, utility sectors for the stability and visibility of cash flows. And we really like the leveraging stories like Warner Brother, Discovery, uh, AT&T, Verizon, uh, in the industrial sectors. Over the month, we added uh, exposure to the energy sector. Uh, we do have a preference for pipelines that are mostly unaffected by commodity price volatility, given the revenues and cash flows are, are have a very long nature uh, in terms of being contracted. Our strategies, moving on to the strategies now, both the active and, and latter intermediate are using 6% at, at the moment with a duration of about four years. Our active accounts, we can invest up to 10% in double B high yield, uh, but the current allocation is 2.5%. So we definitely have some, some room to add high yield on any weakness. We have uh, also a 7.5% allocation to U.S. Treasuries and 40% allocation to triple B names. The latter strategies, uh, they, are most, they are higher quality. They are invested about 70% in single layer or better and 30% in triple B uh, credits. Uh, with that, I'll pass it over to Anders Nelson. Thanks, Fleet. Uh, on the high yield side, uh, we've seen uh, some volatility as well over the last month with credit spreads moving wider and lower-rated bonds underperforming. Uh, this was mainly caused by the strong data, which fueled fears that the Fed will have to be even more restrictive and keep rates higher for longer. At the same time, the um, high-yield asset class had to deal with a temporary weakening of technicals with a good amount of supply um, hitting the market in September. There were also some outflows and dealer inventories were elevated. Uh, this allowed spreads for, to move wider uh, after having been stuck below 400 basis points over the summer when bond supply was low. Uh, 
So there are a lot of unknowns in the market right now. Geopolitical risks have risen over the last weeks, and it's being closely watched by the market. We're seeing that play out in oil, where there have been some big moves over the last couple of days. We also have Q3 earnings starting up with the uh, high-yield issuers set to begin uh, reporting numbers in the next few weeks, and that will give us plenty of opportunities for idiosyncratic stories to emerge, which will increase the uh, dispersion among credits. We'll also be closely watching for profit margin developments now that it's become more difficult to pass on higher input costs to the consumer. And we also look forward to hearing management's outlooks on um, to gain an additional perspective to where the wider economy is headed. Um, lastly, we think that rates um, still the main question mark that you have to get right. Uh, the market keeps on going back and forth on this, and actually rate volatility has exceeded um, volatility of equity and credit this year, which is pretty interesting. Um, we think that volatility will continue for now as we work our way through these unknowns, um, but let me highlight some reasons that lead us to believe that taking a look at high yields makes sense. All-in yields uh, look attractive. On the full maturity high-yield index, uh, the yield is above 9%, which is as high as it's been since the market sold off last year. And we're getting more yield now than we did at the top of the regional banking crisis this spring. For the double B, single B, one to three-year index, yields are close to 8.5%. Uh, credit spreads have uh, normalized off of the tight levels uh, during the summer, and they're now sitting at around 425 basis points, uh, which makes us feel more comfortable as well. Um, the market is paying more attention to all-in yields over spreads uh, because uh, the expectation is that in a scenario where spreads widen, we would see a flight to safety trade happen at the same time, which would cause treasury yields to move lower, thereby offsetting some of the spread move. Um, you're also invested in a high-income product, so you have some cushion to deal with the volatility, uh, which is what we saw happen last year, where coupon income really helped offset most of the price decline in short-duration high yield. Um, and even if we do expect some volatility going forward, uh, we don't think that credit losses from defaults will be too detrimental to total returns. As it stands now, the fundamental picture is strong, um, although coming off peak numbers. Um, our credit research team expects uh, defaults to pick up modestly from here to around 3.5%, which we are on track to hit this year. Um, but this figure is still below the historical average of around 4%. In the near term, we also see technicals being supportive as um, – New issue supply has been low over the last two, three weeks, and we expect it to remain so for the coming months as we head into year-end, especially if uh, uh, higher rates and uncertainty continues, which would push borrowers to hold off for a little longer. And in this kind of an environment with the higher yields, we could also see higher quality issuers to opt to delever as a way to save on costs as well. Given this mixed picture we're looking at, we continue to like our up-in-quality stance in the portfolios. The short-duration high-yield SMAs yield 7.7% with a duration of two years and hold between 70 and 75% in double B- minus or higher-rated credits. The crossover strategies, which we've been seeing demand for as of late, yield 6.8% with a duration of three years, and those hold 55% in investment-grade-rated credits. I'll now hand it over to David Michael to speak on emerging markets. Similar to uh, the other asset classes, over the last month, emerging market spreads have widened by about 35 basis points. Um, emerging market investment grade were, credit spreads were 11 basis points wider, while high yield credit spreads widened by 63 basis points. And also highlighted by everyone else, you know, during this time, we had a pretty aggressive treasury sell-off. Um, so really, the total returns across most fixed income, but also emerging markets, were negative over this period from a combination of U.S. Treasury as well as uh, spread widening. 
you know, also for the last month and more recently, um, uh, the Hamas attacks in Israel, um, the Israeli government declared war. Uh, we expect this uh, Israeli response to be more focused on Gaza and Hamas, um, as seen in previous outbreaks of violence in Israel. Our base case is the conflict remains regional, although it might take longer given the scale of the attack and counteroffensive. As this is a fluid situation, um, but we stick with our base case. Uh, and if this materializes, uh, we would not expect an impact on oil supply, but we would expect pacts between Israel and other Gulf states to be put on hold if not unwound. Over the last month, uh, the market continued to see uh, negative <laughs> growth out of China, and that includes lower than expected domestic spending during China's Golden Week holidays. Um, in response, we expect continued uh, and targeted stimulus from policymakers to help support domestic demand in China. There are also elections in Poland and Ecuador where the opposition won in both uh, instances. Um, in the case of Poland, this will likely bring them closer to the EU, and Ecuador's new president um, is seen as a market-friendly president, so market positive in both scenarios. Um, in the current backdrop, um, emerging market primary activity continues to be very, very low. Um, we've had yet another month of net negative supply uh, that now makes 16 out of the last 18 months of net negative supply. Um, as we move into the fall, we expect primary activity to remain low, especially with this volatile market backdrop. Um, it, but monthly rollover of coupons and amortizations coming back into the asset class will range anywhere from 20 to $40 billion per month. If we combine that with the outflows, monthly outflows of one to two billion per month we have seen over the last quarter, um, this continues uh, to build cash positions across the emerging market managers. And this leaves our asset class in a strong technical position to redeploy uh, once U.S. rates find stability. From there, let me hand it off to Lisa to provide an update from our municipal bond team. Thank you. Um, definitely this mark has faced a month of volatility. Munis were under pressure as we approached the end of September, uh, where rates were spiking 40 to 50 basis points across the curve over a two-week period. And munis underperformed treasuries, pushing ratios to the highest they had been since early June. Um, I'd say the tone in the muni market weekend just post FOMC just pressures led to an increase in outflows. Lipper reported 1.2 billion in muni outflows for the week of 927. And now we've seen subsequent outflows throughout this month. Last week of note, the rates market got whipsawed just with geo geopolitical concerns and higher than um, consensus inflation data just weighing in on the market. And despite the rate backup, um, we saw 10 years and earlier. Um, this month, ratios were still supportive for secondary trading. I would say the front end of the curve has been under pressure and seen adjustments. Uh, notably, notably, earlier this month, MMD, 10 years and in, uh, reached their highest yields in over a decade. And following last week's adjustments, the MMD AAA scale, it's now become even more inverted. Um, additionally, variable rate securities, they've experienced volatility in yields over this past month. 
The CISMA index, it spiked to a high looking back of a 431 uh, back at the end of September, and now it dropped to 319 last week. This is the lowest level since mid-September. Um, looking ahead, I would say these rates, uh, floater rates, are expected to continue their upward trend this week just due to the unfavorable supply-demand imbalance. And we're now seeing daily yields, which are definitely a part of our barbell strategy. They're currently pushing up against weekly yields at over 3%. Um, I think this will most likely invert uh, throughout this month. Uh, and I do think now with uh, ratios looking tighter for SIFMA versus SOFR at about 860%, just outflows now we're seeing in tax-exempt money market funds, um, I do think SIFMA um, and floor yields will adjust higher this week. And it could possibly get maybe to 4%, I'm thinking, by the end of November into December as we close out the year. Just looking at our current market, um, just been talking to the street, I'm hearing some dealers are looking just to pare down their risk just after a week of elevated bid wanted. Um, there's been elevated bid wanted activity with investors, I would say, including ourselves, selling into the strength of the market, especially over this past week. Uh, daily bid lists I'm looking at right now, they're averaging about $1.8 billion they were last week, which is 23% above the four-week average. And I have seen more demand overall, just um, market sentiment for um, really two-year paper now versus one-year paper, even though MND isn't really reflecting it. So we could expect to see some divergence, I'm thinking, between these two maturities. In terms of what we've been up to, um, we remained selective in secondary market purchases earlier last week just as we navigated through ongoing economic data and ge geopolitical concerns. Um, We've been trying to really actively, I think, invest and really reinvest. That remains key. We have a lot of cash to put to work in the muni market in general. Um, there was $23 billion of October 1st redemption payments that hit earlier this month. Um, and at our end, we have cash just stemming from redemptions, tax loss harvesting, and just rebalancing portfolios, including we've been trying to shorten up duration in some of our portfolios as well. Uh, we continue to participate heavily, really, in that primary market, but just higher investor demand on deals um, has kind of forced us to continue to really uh, look to that secondary market to support our cash needs. Um, supply, uh, muni issuance in September was one of the lowest months of the year, um, definitely more favorable supply picture this month. Issuance this week, uh, it's around $11 billion in tax-exempt issuance, so it's well above last week's number and one of the largest in 2023. And to note, there's four deals totaling over $1 billion coming to market this week. Um, so we're definitely looking to take advantage of um, investing heavily as much as we can this week. I do think the muni market could face some pressure this month. Uh, you might see near-term weakness just across MND as supply picks up. And just from uh, muni fund outflows, uh, continue to pressure the market and discontinue market volatility. Um, visible supply right now, it climbed its highest level of the month. Uh, issuers are really preparing to close out the year, just with the typical sprint we normally see to the finish line and issuance. Um, we have seen opportunities across the curve. Um, in terms of positioning, we have made some smaller adjustments, I'd say, but we still remain uh, more barbells I'm sorry, across our active strategies. Our, inter our intermediate strategy, uh, we continue to be overweight in one year and in. We have added, as I said, um, some two to three year exposure um, in that maturity bucket and really overweighting that 13 to 15 year area of the curve. Um, and just with the inversion, I'd say in that two to three year area, 
of our total return curve, we do have some exposure in that area as well. Um, it isn't looks more attractive opportunity just to lock in some of those higher rates. Uh, we had our investment meeting last week, and I will say for our yield-focused strategy, we did decide to adjust our target duration on that strategy. We adjusted it to seven and a quarter from the seven target, but we remain heavily overweight 12 years and out um, on that strategy. And our short duration strategy, we decreased exposure um, in that less attractive four to five year area of the curve while continuing to overweight really that one to three year area and 12 year area of the curve. So I just say opportunities. Um, we've had success, continue to add a lot of high grades, um, but have found um, opportunities in adding some select single lane names across various sectors as well. We continue to add uh, Illinois Geo, um, did buy some New Jersey State Transportation Trust from bonds last week, uh, some healthcare, University of Pittsburgh Medical, some Stanley Coopers. So those spreads can range anywhere from 50 to 75 off in that two to five year area of the curve. Um, I just think looking where we are this year, I think we've done a great job just adding, um, you know, a lot of bonds in the one-year area. We've added some notes, shorter bonds, pre-reads, um, those yields ranging anywhere from three and a half to cheap as 4% and some select credit. So overall, I think we continue to be well-positioned just as we look to navigate throughout uh, really the last quarter of this year. And with that, I'll hand it over to Anthony. Lisa, thank you. Um, thank you all to the team. I really appreciate it. Um, I'll just close out here by a couple of final notes. Um, I think you heard it throughout, and, and we've consistently said it uh, on these calls, and I started with it, which is volatility will continue to, to remain. Uh, as far as and as it relates to investing, I just continue to leg in the market, um, especially especially when we see moves like we've seen of late, <clears throat> where we're hitting – new highs that we have not seen since 2007. Uh, it is clearly a lot better than chasing yields as the market moves in the other direction. Secondly, uh, I would say if, if this is the great pause, and it was mentioned as a, as a, look, as a potential, um, you know, the great pause by the Fed, I'd say turn your eyes, try to get your hands on the May 2023 fixed income strategist piece that was prepared um, by our chief investment office. Um, it is entitled Preparing for a Pause, uh, and in there what you'll see is um, the CIA office does a really good job of illustrating uh, what really happens to the rate markets um, when there is a pause and the impact that you'll expect or can, or at least we, what we had seen in, in past cycles where the Fed had paused and ultimately uh, moved to cutting rates. <clears throat> and then lastly, uh, yes, this is the fourth quarter, but believe it or not, we only have about 10 full trading weeks left in the year. We account for, for holidays. Um, and so um, I would really begin to prepare your portfolios for, for your end. Um, and in many cases, that does include um, tax loss harvesting uh, when uh, that makes um, sense for both the clients' uh, portfolios to, to go ahead and do so. Uh, many clients have begun to tax loss harvest already this year. Uh, and I would highly recommend you take advantage of this um, opportunity. Uh, if it, again, makes sense, uh, sooner rather than, than later. So with that, uh, we'll bid farewell to the next uh, meeting that we'll have in, in November. Uh, stay well, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for tuning in.
As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS Financial Advisor for a copy.